Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being here together to hear and to learn and to, to seek and to know and to do. Lord, bless us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're probably familiar with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's a great organization in many ways. And one of the, the best things about it is about the accountability and support that it encourages people to have. Each person is given a sponsor to help them to stay clean, to help them stay away from that addiction of alcohol. And in AA, if you think that you're going to stumble, if you think you're going to fall, if you think you might drink again, then you can call your sponsor at any time for strength and for accountability. And along with that kind of accountability, there's also meetings that they're to go to each week to to talk about how they did that week, how they were feeling strong, how they were feeling weak, how they did well or maybe didn't do so well. And they gain encouragement and strength through those meetings and through that support that they have. Another thing that's important is that they, they learn and they understand that they can't do it on their own. In AA, they talk about a higher power that is to help you, right? And as Christians, we know that that higher power is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, this morning, we are going to finish Colossians chapter 2. And in this, we talk about how we have spiritual freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. We must understand that even though Christ has freed us from the, the power of sin in our lives and the penalty of sin in our lives, we need to understand that Sin is always lurking, always trying to grab us, always trying to make us stumble and fall. And so if we're going to stay strong in our faith, if we're going to be strong Christ followers, then we need to understand the accountability we have with God, that God is wanting us to be accountable to him, but also the accountability, the support and fellowship we can have with one another that helps us to stay strong and follow the ways that God has set for us. So as we go through the scripture this morning, let us remember that freedom comes when we stay focused on Christ and when we love what he loves and when we do what he wants us to do. So let's go through the first part of the scripture again. We're going to look at Colossians 2, 16 to 19. And whenever you see yellow, please join in reading with me. Paul says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great deal about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So the Apostle Paul gives us help here. He gives us caution against the Judaizing teachers or those who would impose upon Christians the yoke of the ceremonial law. He says, let no man judge you in meat or drink. See, much of the ceremonial law of Moses consisted 
of the distinction of what meat you could eat and when and how you were allowed to eat them. It appears that there were those who were keeping up these distinctions even after they were becoming Christ followers. But here Paul shows that since Christ has come and has canceled the ceremonial law, we ought not to keep it up. In other words, let no man impose those things upon you which God has not imposed upon you. Once you become a Christ follower, you need to understand the difference of what is from Christ and what is from the world, Paul is basically saying. Because these ceremonial laws were basically a shadow of the things which were to come. They were done more for dietary constrictions or protection rather than religious purpose. And now they are to do, be done away with. But they were trying to bring it in as if it was for religious practice. The ceremonial observances were just types and shadows of Christ and the gospel. And when Christ came and instituted the kingdom of God, he basically had done away with these ceremonial practices and laws. When Christ came, he was saying, you need to serve me, you need to follow me, you need to worship me, you need to set me up, not these laws, not these ceremonies, not these way of living. So when we subject ourselves to these laws, we uplift the law instead of uplifting Christ. So we need to be careful how we are obeying these laws, what are we doing, how we are following Christ or not following Christ when these things come to us. See, there will be times when people will judge you, right? You probably felt judged by someone from one time or another, judged by what you're doing or what you're not doing, right? People have expectations upon you, and when you don't do it, they judge you for it, they look down upon you for it. We need not concern ourselves about whether we are walking by the example of others. Rather, we need to concern ourselves whether we are walking according to the example of Jesus Christ and doing what Christ has commanded us to do. We know what is sinful, and we are to avoid this. We know that we are to love others and how Christ loved others, and we are to love others as Christ loved others. See, these human laws sometimes don't carry authority in our life in the way that God's laws carry authority in our life. We should not worry about being judged nor should we judge others when we are living according to God's word. That's what is important. We need to consistently ask ourselves, am I doing what God is calling me to do? Am I doing what God would have me to do? That should be the governing factor. For example, there's a big push in our society to, to become a vegetarian, right? That you shouldn't eat meat because the way the animals are treated when we get the meat is wrong, and so if you eat meat, then maybe you're looked down upon, maybe you're judged. Now, I'm not saying being a vegetarian is wrong, but I'm not saying that you have to be a vegetarian, right? And someone might judge you for eating meat, right? They might say, you need to be this way, you need to eat this, you need to not eat that. This is human thinking and not from God. There are many rules in our world that are like this. And so people will judge you for the things that you do or don't do based on these human laws that are not necessarily in line with what God might have us to do. Again, it all goes back to humbling ourselves before God and saying, God, 
What is right? What is good? What would you have me to do? When I was in my early 20s, I was dating a vegetarian. And so because of that, whenever I was with her, I ate vegetarian, right? And so I did that because I was dating her. And, but I remember, oh, I remember this so clearly. I was missing hamburger bad. <laughs> and the 4th of July, what do you do on 4th of July? You barbecue, right? I was like, oh, do you have a barbecue? She's like, no, I don't barbecue. Why would I have barbecue? I don't have any meat. Oh my gosh, okay, what are we going to do? I need a barbecue. So I went to the store, and I bought a little portable, you know, throwaway barbecue, right? And I bought me some hamburger. Oh my gosh. And I bought her a veggie burger, right? Side by side, right there in the barbecue was a, a veggie burger and a hamburger. And I'm going to tell you, man, that hamburger never tasted so good, because I had a hamburger in a long time. Does, that didn't mean that how she ate as a vegetarian was wrong. But it also wasn't wrong for me to eat hamburger. So Paul is basically saying here that we are to have nothing to do with those who identify their religion with laws about what can be eaten or drunk, right? There's some religions that do that. They tell you you have to eat this or you can't eat that. And Paul says, no, they're just digested and then excreted from the body. Don't let your religion, your practice, be controlled by these kinds of things. Well, second, there is the observation of um, specific feasts and new moons. Again, we see legalism taking shape as they drew lists of what could be done and what couldn't be done. They turned their religion into a ritual. Paul's criticism that they had been rescued, they had been freed by Christ from these rituals and these regulations. See, being a Christ follower isn't about rules and regulations as much as it is about being in a relationship with God through Christ. It's about being in relationship. And rules and regulations oftentimes take away that personalness of our relationship with God. He cautions them to take heed of those who would introduce the worshiping of angels as mediators between them and God as the Gentile philosophers were doing. Now, there's times when you might feel, not feel worthy to come into the presence of God, right? And so you say, oh, I need a mediator. I need someone maybe who is more worthy than me. And, and angels are pretty magnificent beings, right? And so for a lot of people, they're saying, okay, the angels can be my mediator. They can, they can go to God on my behalf. But the truth is, the only mediator is Christ. Let me say that again. The only mediator between us and God is Jesus Christ. That's because he died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, and the Bible tells us that he is there to mediate for us. No other being, no other person should be a mediator for us other than Jesus Christ. We can have sufficient knowledge of the Bible to know what role celebrations and rituals and angels should play in our life, but they should not be a mediator between us and God. We're told in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, there is great wonder and worship that can be attained through rituals and and other practices, you know, like the Lent season is 
my personal favorite, and I love it. These rituals and these ceremonies that we do are wonderful. And you have the Lent season, and you have the Lord's Prayer, and you have communion that we do on a regular basis. These rituals, these celebrations, these practices are wonderful, and they are there to draw us into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God. But when ritual controls our faith and practice, you lose that connection that God wants us to have with him. Third idea that was confusing them was how the Gnostics were talking about these special visions they were having. They were having all these wild and special visions, and because of that, they were saying, we are closer to God than you. We are more special to God than you are. See, the Bible talks about that all of God's people can have visions. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, when Grace and I were at our Presbyterian meeting, the speaker there was talking about a vision that God gave to him. It was, it was a really interesting story. He was sitting at the, the airport, and all of a sudden, this vision came into his mind. And he had this picture, a very clear picture of a woman. And God said, her name is Mary, and I need you to help her for me. Well, at first he thought this was a crazy thought, right? And he tried to put it, put it aside. And he got on the plane, and he was sitting on the plane, and guess what? This woman that he had pictured in his mind walked towards him and sat in the aisle just across from him. She was a beautiful woman, he said. And so he thought, oh my, okay, I need to just really put that on my mind, right? His wife was sitting right next to him, and he's like, okay, we, we're going to put this aside. So anyway, the plane takes off, and they start going. They're traveling for a while. His wife falls asleep, and then God prompts him and says, you need to go sit next to her and talk with her. Again, he's like, is this my own thinking, or is this, this my wife's right here, you know? What am I going to do about this? But God kept pushing him and prompting him. And it was interesting because, you know, there's three seats in a plane. Well, there happened to be the middle seat open right next to her. So finally, God prompted him enough to where he just got up and he went over and he asked if he could sit by her. And she said, yes. So he sits down and he asks her her name. And she says, my name is Mary, the name that God had given him. And he said, well, this is probably kind of weird for you, but God prompted me to come over here and talk with you. And as soon as she said that, she started crying. She said, oh, I've been praying so much for someone to help me. I've been praying to God that he would bring someone to me to help me. And, and over the course of their flight, he talked with her and was able to help her and pray with her. Visions come because God gives us those visions. They are good. There is not a spiritual hierarchy in Christianity, right? There's not some Christians who are higher or better than others and some who are lower. But in this time, the people were saying, if you don't have visions, you're not as special, as important, as loved by God as we are. But any one of us could have a vision. You may have a vision in a dream. You may have a vision in just getting an idea of what God wants you to do or what God wants the church to do. You may have an idea for a specific ministry that God says, I'm leading you to do this for the kingdom of God. God gives us visions in those times. He wants us to move on those. It doesn't come from just an elder or a pastor or, or you know, someone who's been a Christian for 40 years. It comes to who God chooses to give it to. 
Well, we finish our passage in Colossians 2, 20-23, where Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then read with me. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. From time to time, I will take a study leave. And what I do when I do a study leave, oftentimes, is I go away, and sometimes I go to a seminar or a conference, but sometimes I just get behind on my reading, right? I always have books, mag spiritual magazines that I'm trying to, to read to, to keep up on um, spiritual ideas and, and growing in my own, my own personal connection with God. And Tammy happened to go on this with me. We went up to Carpinteria, which is you know, one of the beach cities north of Ventura. And so it was in the summer, it was a beautiful day. I was sitting by the pool all day, reading my books and enjoying the day. That night, it was going to be, I think, a three-day three uh, steady leave. And that night, we went to a really nice dinner. I had a great uh, pasta dish with white sauce, and it was a really tasty, wonderful meal. But that night, I got the flu. I mean, I got the flu bad. And I threw up violently, right? I mean, you probably had something like that, right? And because of that, I likened my throwing up to pasta with white sauce. And I have to tell you, from that moment on, I died to white sauce. <laughs> I cannot eat white sauce on my pasta ever again. Right? Now, I tell you that story because Paul talks about dying to the elemental forces, the spiritual forces. He says, we have died with Christ so that we might live with him. We have died with Christ so that we could die to the things of the world. So we no longer want to do the things of the world that draw us away from God, that take us away from deepening our relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, we do not submit to the rules of the world in regards to these rules and regulations that go against the Bible, that go against what is right and what is true. Paul says, they are told, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. See, these were referenced to dietary constrictions again and as a means of attaining salvation, as if holiness consists of keeping away from the contamination of these foods. If you can stay away from these foods, then you will be more holy, the people were saying, the Gnostics were saying. And Paul says, that's foolishness. Holiness comes because of Christ's sacrifice and because Christ imparts his righteousness to us. It is our relationship, our fellowship with Christ that we become holy, that we become righteous, that we understand what is right to do and that we have the power to do what God calls us to do. In our being holy, we are to avoid that which keeps us from God. So reading the Bible or, or praying a certain amount of times or coming to church every week or eating certain foods, these could be good, but they're not to be done in place of your relationship with Christ. If they move you into a deeper relationship with Christ and with God, then that's good. 
but have the right perspective of why these things are put into our lives. We come to church so that we can worship God and so we can fellowship with others. We read the Bible so that we can know God's word and know what he wants us to do. We pray so that we can have that connection so that we can understand that God is walking with us, that somehow God uses our prayer to impact this world. We do these things as a means of serving God and drawing closer to God. Does that make sense? Paul says, understand, have perspective, understand these things. Many years ago, I decided that I would not drink alcohol anymore. I did this because, not because it makes me more holy. If I tell someone, oh, I don't drink alcohol, that they look at me like, oh, you must be a holy person, right? That's why... No, it has nothing to do with holiness or not. I just didn't want alcohol in my system. I didn't like what it did to my brain when I put alcohol in my system. And so I, I didn't want to be maybe a negative influence. In fact, at the time, I was a youth director. And so I didn't want to be a negative influence to others around me that when they saw me drinking, they thought, oh, it's good to drink. You know, kids have a problem at times in high school drinking anyway, right? I didn't want them seeing their youth director drink and think, oh, drinking's good. I'm going to drink. So I chose not to do it, not because it makes me more holy, but just because I felt like it helped me to focus more on my relationship with God. So if you choose to be a vegetarian or you choose not to eat a certain food or whatever, if you do it because for some reason it helps you in your relationship with God, that's great. But you don't do it because it makes you more holy or because someone else is going to judge you if you don't do it. You need to understand, what does God want me to do? And what keeps me from deepening my relationship with God? Paul then goes on to say, these regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. An appearance of wisdom. A couple times in my life I've had people try to get me involved in a pyramid scheme. You know what a pyramid scheme is, right? What happens is you, there's some kind of product or something, right? And so you're supposed to buy this product but along with buying the product, you're supposed to get others in your pyramid. So let's say you're at the top of your pyramid, okay? And so what you do is you say, oh, I need you to join my pyramid. And by doing that, you have to buy such and such amount. And then you need to get people under you as well. So the more people that I get under me, then the more money I'll make. And as people under me get more people under me, then my pyramid grows. Does that make sense? And so the, the selling point on this is, oh, you can make a lot of money. Right? The more people you get, the more money you, you make. And so, an appearance, there's wisdom to it. Wow, this is great. I can make a lot of money. I don't really have to do much. I just have to talk people into buying this product and getting others to buy it. But if you look at that chart, you can see that only the little tip is green. That's the people who make money. Right? If you get into it in the very beginning, then maybe you'll make some money. And so, really, it as I looked at it deeper, I realized it was a scheme. It wasn't really something that was going to benefit me. And the whole way that it's designed is to make more and more and more money. And again, I thought, man, that's just going to take my focus away from where I should, how I should be living, what I should be doing. And so I saw it as the scheme that it is. See, there's a difference between the rules and the regulations that are found in the Bible and those that humans impose upon us. These rules and regulations can have an appearance 
of wisdom. But as you look deeper into them, you realize that it is indeed a scheme. And God tells us, don't get involved in the schemes of the world. Ultimately, they lead us astray from God and from holy living and from bring, being truly Christ followers. See, Paul says to us in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made them free, and not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The things of the world so often become a yoke of bondage in our lives. And then he tells us in Ephesians 2.14-15, for he, talking about Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so what he's talking about here is that when the law was instituted, it was given to the Jews as God's people, and it was given to a time but it alienated the Gentiles, all those who are not Jews. It created two, two, two types of people, right? Those who were uh, under the law and those who were outside of the law. It created a dividing wall and became a wall of hostility. And so as Jews became Christians and as, as Gentiles became Christians, there's still this, this dividing wall of the law. And Paul was trying to say, when Jesus came, he took away that law. He took away that dividing wall. He said, we are to be one in Christ. The law is there to, to help you see how you cannot live up to the law, how you cannot be saved by the law, how you cannot save yourself. And Jesus says, I have come so that you might know that you can have life, eternal life, a life of abundance, a life of joy, and that we can be one together, one people under the head of the body who is Christ. We're not to be subject to any law as something that brings us salvation. We're not to be subject to any rules and regulations as thinking that they bring us holiness. We're to be subject to Christ, who is the head of the body. There's a story of a beggar who lived near the king's palace. And one day he saw this, this proclamation that said that there's going to be a, a banquet. But the only people that could come to the banquet were those who wore royal clothes. And so he looked down at himself, he looked at his rags, and he longed to go to the banquet, but he realized there was no way he could go to the banquet. Then he got this thought in his head. It was a crazy thought, but why not? I want to go to the banquet. And so he went up to one of the king's guards, and he said, I would like an audience with the king. Again, a crazy thought, right? A beggar asking for an audience with the king. But the guard took the request of the king, and the king granted it. And all of a sudden, he was standing there before the king. And he said, oh, king, I humble myself before you. I so much want to go to the banquet, but as you can see, I do not have any royal clothes. Maybe you can just give me one of your old pieces of clothes that I could wear so I could just attend the banquet. And to his surprise, the king granted his request. And he called over his son, and he told his son to go take him and, and get him a piece of royal clothing. And so the beggar followed the prince, and the prince gave him this clo his clothes, and he said, now you are clothed, you are able to go to the banquet. But there's another thing about these. These clothes will last forever. You don't have to worry about clothes ever again. These clothes will last forever. 
was a beggar grabbed up his rags and walked away. He, he didn't know if he should believe the prince. I mean, clothes that last forever, that's nonsense, right? Well, he went to the banquet. He had a great time at the banquet. And uh, he gathered up his rags and he walked away. And he always had this doubt about the clothes that he was wearing. And so he kept wearing these clothes, but just in case, he held on to his rags. And he would carry his rags all around with him. And after a time, people stopped seeing him in his royal clothes. All they could focus on was the rags that he carried around. In fact, they call, called him the old man with rags. When he was on his dying bed, the king actually came and visited him. And when he saw the king, he realized that he had squandered his life away of seeing himself as royalty, because he carried around his old rags. How often do we become Christ followers and we hold on to our old way of life, our old way of thinking? How often do we think that we are not worthy to be seen as royalty, that we are only worthy of wearing rags? And so we go around thinking lowly of ourselves, not understanding that we have been saved in Christ, that we are a royal priesthood. We are told, read this with me, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his wonderful a royal priesthood, a special possession. We need to understand that we have been freed in Christ to not live in sin anymore, to not live by these human regulations and rules that take us away from God, to not follow the schemes of the world which take us away from God, but we have freedom in Christ to live a life of love and caring, and concern, and giving, and helping, and deep fellowship with God and with one another. We are a royal priesthood, a special people of God. And I encourage you to live in that way, to see yourself. Don't carry around your rags. Understand, you have these royal clothes that you have put on. You are God's children. You are Christ's followers. Let us pray.